The battle continues. We are finishing with tonight's message. Second Samuel, in the last chapter, is 24. Though I wasn't here, first of all, I want to give thanks for Ken Hines' message last week and for those that make it possible to go to the website and listen to it because that I did and I was blessed from it. I want to thank God also for Brian's message this past Sunday. It was intense for me. First of all, you asked me to close my eyes in church and I felt like, wait a minute, have I done that before and you're calling me out? <laughs> but you called us all out to picture what we think of when we, th- we think of God. What do we see when we think of Jesus? And what do we think God sees in us? And that was convicting. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to be with the other guys in prayer and, and in bringing the message. So the battle continues. And just as an introduction, I'd like you to walk across a narrow bridge from a battle a long time ago. This is a grave marker of my uncle Lance, Clarence Conrad Young. Luke, I want to thank you for taking time on Memorial Day uh, weekend, uh, not only for those who have fallen and died giving their lives in service to the freedom of our country, and at that time the world as well, but also in recognizing those active and um, former service men and women. And it was very rich for me later to go out to the cemetery, as I do often, uh, because my mom's mom and dad are at the same cemetery, but to see my Uncle Lance here. And he was killed December 10th, 1944. And there's a battle that continues, not for him, but it's a battle in which December 10th, 1944, in Germany, a town named Guy, I think, and you can see the map here. Um, the Rhine is up that way, I think. And, but basically, he and many others gave their lives on December 10th. The list is alarmingly long. And uh, as a result of this battle, for those I have not served, so again, my heart and admiration is for you, men and women who have served. But after a battle, there's an after-action report. And I was able to find, although it's no longer secret, um, the actual uh, after-action report. It's also not that legible, but it's up there. And so this is one document, and it gets down, and then it follows through, and there's actually uh, that action on December 10th in the, uh, in the Battle of uh, D, Germany, uh, that was heavily fortified. They had some reconnaissance, but the Germans were dug in. And these houses, including basements, where they had uh, very thick concrete walls and the ammunition, and just, it, they were ready. They were ready for the Allies. I don't think the war was going for them very well this far into it, it was right before the Battle of the Bulge and all the things that they just threw out there. Um, Malmedy was uh, the massacre down the road to the southwest. Uh, but anyway, you can't really read that. But what's important to me, and as I wrote my daughters on Memorial Day, not to be boastful, but to be grateful. I said, if someone asked you, did you have a relative that died in the war? Yeah, this KIA 2 on December 10th, it's not something I'm happy about. It breaks my heart. Um, my Uncle Lance uh, was killed. So the battle continues and yet the cost is heavy. And there's my Uncle Lance, Clarence Conrad Young. Uh, someone who's into history might remember Thomas D. Curry. He was also killed on that same day in that same battle. Again, this is not something we celebrate, but we, we, we take time to 
learned from the lesson. And in the after-action report, there was, and actually in full uh, disclosure, this, about three years later, this was an uh, advanced uh, infantry training course that somebody was taking at Fort Benning. And so that whole, all of these slides, you know, I kind of took license and said, well, my uncle was there. So anyway, this was the lesson in part of the report. Now, the, the connection to tonight's scripture, if you've walked across this narrow bridge from that point in history to that, this point in history at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 24, lesson number five. You can't read it. It's kind of the story there. Oversaturation of a position with troops increases casualties. I'm not trying to be too technical, but if I can understand that, it ends up being quite an understatement uh, in connection with our message tonight. So the only other uh, preface would be um, words that aren't necessarily uh, fleshed out in the scripture, but you, you know that they're there. And the word chaff, uh, the word threshing or threshing floor, uh, the word winnowing, and the word altar. Uh, you know, the chaff is the seed heads and the straw from the plant, typically wheat. Uh, threshing is what they did on the threshing floor to separate the heads of wheat grain from the stalks and the chaff. Winnowing would separate all that, you know, a breeze would blow up down and then you'd be left with that wheat grain there. Uh, and then an altar where sacrifices are made and worship occurs. So the battle continues. I don't know how you felt about going from where Ken left off, which wasn't just 11, but the after effects, the consequences of sin, uh, where David um, took upon himself that which wasn't his. And even though the sin was grievous and there, was conse- there were consequences that, that were murderous and, and horrific and just oh, and not only immoral, it just went way beyond what we normally uh, can even imagine. God was faithful, and God used what men intended for evil for good. We know this is true. But there's a cost of sin, and the cost of sin uh, connects to where we begin in chapter 24. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see it. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began from Aror, and from the city that is in the middle of the valley toward Gad, and on to Jazer. And then they came to Gilead, and to Kadesh, in the land of the Hittites, and they came to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon, and came to the fortress of Tyre, Tyre and, all, and to all the cities of the Hivites and Canaanites, and they went out to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. 
Now, the cost of sin, and here's David in very mature years, right? The cost of sin over time. The amount of death and carnage and just, there's numbers that way exceed uh, this recent census. And yet David knows again that he has sinned against God. Now, was it really wrong as a king? Did he, was it okay that he wanted to know how many there were? If you recall what the chapters prior to that had gone through, uh, ones in which uh, 20 or 21, that chapter, he's going out into the battlefield and you know, he's weary. And he even hears uh, his commander say, hey, don't come out with this anymore. Um, lest the uh, lamp of Israel be quenched. They were concerned of it. Now, had he lost all his strength? No. Had he lost all of his faith in a sovereign God? No, but he got to the point where pride is what most commentaries will say. He wanted to know, did he still have enough to do what he needed to do? Well, God had not asked him to do this. And after nine months, hopefully it's instantly, maybe may the Spirit convict us and pull us back if we are prone to sin or if we have sinned. We don't wait nine months to come around to it. But he has done so here. And... There's a price of redemption. The cost of sin is real, but there's a price of redemption. So let's continue reading. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there, be three, shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me, and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All of this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it 
from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxygen for 50 shekels of silver, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. Now, there were consequences of this sin. In fact, there were multiple consequences and multitudes of choices of consequences. Now, some of the commentary that you've heard or sermons that you've heard uh, indicated that just as he's had most of his life people pursuing him, even his own son, he did not want to fall into the hands of men. And God had shown mercy before. He didn't know for sure, but God is faithful even when he had failed. So he asked that the pestilence be upon him and the people, Israel. Well, we don't know about the 70,000 people that the angel of the Lord took out. We don't know where their hearts were. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of detail. Maybe there's other things in uh, First or Second Chronicles. I, don't, I haven't researched it that far. But maybe they were wicked and the Lord uh, sent the angel to not only uh, bring uh, uh, judgment upon Israel that way, but to also deal with uh, a lot of men. But right when he, the angel of the Lord came to Jerusalem, the Lord showed mercy and said, that is enough. Now, the purpose of the threshing floor you all already know. The purpose of the altar, you already know. And there's good news. The Lord said through Gad, go purchase a threshing floor and build an altar. Now, we have altars in our lives, in our hearts, where Christ dwells, in a sanctuary. We're going to look at the heart, heart's occupation a little bit further what was the result of redemption? What was the price? As a king, he could have just said, first of all, bring me Aruna. I want to talk to him. But what did the king do? He humbled himself and went to this Gentile, someone who was a victim of a conquered land, a conquered people. Yet uh, Aruna had affection for uh, God's people. And he didn't, Probably get that excited seeing 70,000 of them wiped out right up before Jerusalem. But this was something he wanted to give freely. Yet there was a price that had to be paid. Now, we are going to go backwards a little bit because part of the end of 2 Samuel, and I can't tell you I'm happy that it's ending because of all the carnage, or that I'm sad that it's ending because there was so much praise, and we read parallel to other Psalms, and we read parallel to other parts of First Chronicles. And this has been incredibly changing for me, because some things are awesome, and some, some things are horrible. And yet, what comes out of it? Praise. So there is a, the saint's song of praise. And if we'll go backwards just briefly to 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord is declaring some things here to David and Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish, establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And then David, in that, I think it's in our Bible, it's 50 verses of total praise, kind of a historical account, kind of an after-action report of what had happened. And now here he is in total adoration to God, spelling out what God already knows that God did uh, and the mercy that David was receiving. So let's read from uh, just a few verses from chapter 22. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. We know that David wasn't going to build the temple, that he had later uh, dedicated that to Solomon. But going back to Aruna, in addition to the threshing floor that he purchased for a price, um, I don't know exactly how much, but a bunch of gold bought a, a, a parcel of land, and I think that's where the temple was built. I mean, my geography lesson fails. I know several of you will help me out with that. But the praise... And we, we sang that song, and it's very powerful for me. Um, just a quick aside, uh, when my father passed, I, and many times I'm up at the sanctuary by myself where I can't really inflict any uh, sound harm on, on very many people if I'm playing music, but I was up there and I was singing that, that hymn, all 11 verses, and Pastor Cameron and Pastor Luke came in and joined me. And we sang through them, and I was like, oh, thank you, God, thank you. But there was, there was a verse that we left out. And I went back to it, and we're going to read those two again. Oh, may thy soldiers, faithful, true, and bold, fight as the saints who nobly fought of old, and win with them the victor's crown of gold. Alleluia, alleluia. And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear a distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So David had sinned, Yet God's mercy had brought him back to a point of praise, to a point where he was showing people mercy left and right. Um, there was even earlier on, you might remember, somebody was cursing him and they said, look, let's take this dog out. And he said, no, maybe the Lord wanted him to curse. Maybe there was some good reason. But the main thing is he recognized who he was, Brian Robin, in God's eyes. He identified with Yahweh in such a powerful way that although his sins were horrific, God's mercy was more grace and, and, and abounded. But although David's life is coming to an end, and we heard about in chapter 23 his last words, and then chapter 24 his last deeds, you know, so there was, but he finished strong in addition to praise that he gave to the Almighty. Um, it invites us to examine where we are in the battle. And there's a battle to return to. Now, I will tell you that um, there have been times when I was a Facebook user and I would see something that Pastor Luke would write and I said, well, how do we begin the fight? And Luke wisely said, hey, uh, no, this isn't that kind of fight. Let's talk. And of course, I knew what he was saying. He goes, that's the battle that's done in prayer. 
And uh, so thanks. I mean, uh, it kind of kept me from being incited at that time. But the battle that we're called to, God's word says in Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, we talked about the threshing floor, and I gave some key words. They were really for my benefit because I haven't physically been to a threshing floor. I've seen a picture of one. It's kind of cool, kind of a little pad there, kind of scooped out. And I thought, well, it probably wouldn't be so cool if hours on end I was the one that was doing the winnowing and the threshing. But this threshing floor, I'm wanting us to uh, look at our hearts. There's something being uh, done in our hearts daily as we are in God's word. And it's part of the battle that we have to return to. And Jesus said in, in uh, the Gospel of John uh, 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I know that you all believe in Christ as your Savior. He is your King. But what is it in us that's in me? Do we remember seeing him humble himself on a cross, a king coming from the throne in heaven down to earth, not requiring us to get ourselves together to meet him. Just like King David, he went to Aruna. Do we acknowledge and witness to others that Christ has purchased the threshing floor of our heart at great cost? And that one time that we were part of the harvest that somebody went into we all have remembrances. In fact, that was part of our Sunday school lesson. Uh, my teacher asked, um, think back when someone first introduced you to Jesus. That was powerful. The other, what was more powerful than my memory were those that shared theirs. And I could hear the genuine affection they had for those people that witnessed to them. So there was a time when you were part of the harvest, when your soul was purchased by the blood of the Lamb of God. And that daily, the threshing floor in our hearts involves Things being separated, um, winnowed from the worldly chaff, if you will. Get rid of what isn't of the world and, and what is true and beautiful and pure and of Christ remain. Now, that threshing floor at times in our lives, like David's, there's an impact of sin and consequences of sin or the obedience and the sanctification that follows. It's still very much a real battlefield. There's some that we might know that are avoiding the battle altogether. They're passively saying, I'm walking by faith and it's fine. Peace. Okay. That's, but the reality is, the battle continues and we have to be fully engaged daily. We have to return to the battle where the victory that is in Jesus causes us as his saints to sing songs of praise. Who has purchased the threshing floor of your heart? Where faith is born. Where we learn to walk by faith. We went through something this past summer, almost a year ago, where we discovered not just one idol, but the production of idols in our hearts that we have to, to put to death, to, to, to walk away from, and let the altar where Christ, the throne where Christ reigns in our heart. So the question we ask, are we allowing Christ to reign in our heart? Or am, I, am I allowing him to be part of that threshing floor where what is of the world is being winnowed away and what remains is is going to die to self and bear much fruit. And as we've heard from the uh, uh, servants from Colossians, so 
that we walk in a manner of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Part of the battlefield isn't just in my heart. It's do I see others lost in the battle? Do I have a heart for them whose eternal residency might be known only from the witness that we provide to them of Christ as we share Christ, as we personally witness and tell that wondrous, glorious story of how our Savior and Lord, our King, purchased us by his blood. We are soldiers of the cross. And we prepare for battle, not against flesh and blood. A battle that continues until he comes again or calls us home. And so we'll close with uh, Paul's call to put on the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as Shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The battle continues. Let's return to it now, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of those who have thousands of years gone before us, and those who go before us today for the opportunity to lay down the sword that is of anger or war and pick up the sword of truth and let you do what only you can do. Guide us, keep us firm in our stance before you. Let the world rage around us, but let us stand on the truth and in every way acknowledge you, praising you, Lord, even so, come quickly. But until that day, uh, help our kingdom, help your kingdom come in each of us. And we pray this in your name.